You're listening to The Spiritual Awakening Show. This is part 10 of the ongoing Kundalini Awakening series. Be sure to visit brentspirit.com to find the other sections of this series in video and text format. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to part 10 of the ongoing Kundalini Awakening series. I'm Brent, host of The Spiritual Awakening Show, and today we have a very special guest, Justina Yanda. Welcome, Justina. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Great, great. Thanks so much for meeting with me and uh, for the willingness to share a little bit about your Kundalini journey with our audience. So today we're going to give you uh, a lot of time to speak and to share, but uh, before we do that, you'll just have to give me a minute here to give a little bit of an introduction to our audience. Uh, so for the previous nine parts of this series, uh, I've gone over some of the basic concepts and ideas to do with the Kundalini awakening process. So I've spoken about things like uh, some basic guiding principles and practices uh, to get uh, you through your Kundalini process safely and smoothly. I've spoken about the different signs and symptoms, I've spoken about different kinds of awakenings, we've talked about the goal of Kundalini, we've talked about Shaktipat, and things like that. And so at this point, I think it's a perfect time to have a guest on like Justina here to share about her experience with her Kundalini process, with her spiritual awakening journey uh, firsthand. So a major part of why I've been producing this series is to do my best to bring the idea of the Kundalini awakening journey out of the esoteric realm and a little bit more within arm's reach to the mainstream. Now, of course, it may not ever get to the mainstream uh, directly, but if I can do a little bit just to bring it a little bit more uh, within reach, uh, I'm happy with that. And so that's why I want to speak with Justina here today, who's, of course, a real person uh, with a real journey. And I want to allow her to share about her journey to make it a little bit more relatable with other people. So, like I said, we're going to give you a lot of time to share and about your about your experiences. We're going to talk about uh, your awakening journey in general. We're going to talk about your experience with things like kriyas, any challenges you faced, uh, where meditation has fit into your practice, and things like that. So. I'm about to give you the floor to really share your journey. But before that, let me just introduce you a little bit to our audience as well. So Justina has been conscious of her Kundalini process since 2017. Uh, she previously shared with me that she had received some insight from a spiritual teacher that she was actually born with a Kundalini rising already. So that would imply that her Kundalini was awakened in a previous life. Maybe we'll get a little bit more into that today. Uh, professionally, Justina is a licensed mental health counselor. She has a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling from the Appalachian State University in North Carolina. So over the years, Justina and I, we've been in touch relating about our Kundalini processes together. And I know that she's definitely had some very interesting spiritual awakening experiences. Uh, she's humble, she's smart, and that's why I'm really excited to have her on to share with you all today. So now that I've got the little intro out of the way, Let's dive right into it, Justina. Please tell us a little bit about your overall spiritual journey leading us up to where you are today. 
Sure. Yeah. So I would say that consciously my spiritual journey began around the age of 15 in this life. <laughs> um, so when I was around 15 years old, I felt like I was just coming in touch with a lot of different um, things that were inspiring me and um, bringing me in touch with kind of like some deeper awareness that I didn't realize I wanted, but I realized that I'd always wanted it when I started getting in touch with it. Um, so around that time, I was, um, you know, I had lost a parent uh, a few years prior. And so I was very in touch with death as well. And uh, I had some kind of physical experiences that made me feel like I was also um, going through some kind of uh, um, like illness or, and I had a fear of death at that time. Um, and I remember, I, I don't know if, if all of these things were working together, but I remember that in my English class, we read poetry that was really beautiful and inspiring. Um, Walt Whitman in particular, and, you know, I see him as a mystic now, but um, I remember, you know, that was something that helped me to, um, you know, guide me like towards a spiritual direction. And then also at one point when I was 15, I was taking some cooking classes at a local organic grocery store. <laughs> and uh, there was a man that just came and sat with me. And, you know, when I look back at it now, he might have been trying to get me to join some kind of a spiritual group, but he started to uh, there's a little bit of a lag and, and you lost connection for a second there. Uh, you mentioned that the man had sat down and he invited you somewhere. Where did, where did he invite you? Actually, he asked me a question and said, um, do you want to know the meaning of life? <laughs> and, and I said, yes, I do. <laughs> and, uh, and so he started kind of, I don't even remember what he said, but I remember being totally absorbed in it. Like, this is absolutely what I want to know. And I want to, and I want to explore in my life. Uh, and, you know, and I think then he showed me a picture of some Indian saint and, um, but it was just like a, a point in my life where things started to turn in the spiritual direction. And um, after that, I really started seriously seeking and um, reading, you know, books on Carl Jung and um, like Herman Hess books, <laughs> which a lot of spiritual seekers read, Siddhartha. And um, at that time, I started exploring Buddhism and, and uh, Zen meditation. Um, so as I got older, you know, I, I continue, continue to like grapple with different questions. Like um, I had a, a period of time in college where I questioned like what God is. Um, and then uh, in my early 20s, I ended up in a, a group that was kind of abusive, an abusive spiritual group, so kind of cultish. And so I experienced a lot of um, like spiritual abuse at that time, which led to a lot of 
good lessons in the end of, you know, how to discern like healthy versus unhealthy spirituality, um, which, you know, I feel passionate about now and um, like to help people with that. Um, and then there was a period of time after that experience in my early to mid twenties um, when I was a part of that group um, or after I was a part of that group where, you know, I kind of, um, you know, I went through a depression after that and um, had to kind of um, rethink like my spiritual journey. Uh, and so at that time I wasn't so much seeking, but, <laughs> you know, when you're a spiritual seeker, it definitely comes back eventually. <laughs> and so, you know, it came back and um, it was around the time where I decided to go to graduate school um, to become a counselor. And so that first year of becoming a counselor uh, or going to graduate school was kind of like this spiritual revival for me. <laughs> and I was exploring all kinds of different things at that time. Um, so I explored, you know, all kinds of different healing techniques and, um, um, you know, different um, aspects of spirituality uh, that I hadn't explored before. Um, you know, I, I met some friends who had like different psychic abilities. So there was a lot going on at that time that was super inspiring and exciting spiritually. Um, and so the summer after my first year of graduate school, um, that's when I had uh, this experience um, that lasted for about two weeks where uh, you know, I thought I was having a full kundalini awakening, um, but later I learned it was just a, a part of my rising um, that that uh, the lineage that I learned from uh, studies. And so at that time, I had um, an experience that uh, really kind of uh, made me realize that I had a kundalini process. And so I was about 29 years old at that time. That was about five years ago. Um, and, and so after that, um, you know, I found out that, um, that I had a Kundalini rising um, through um, a nadi that wasn't uh, like culminating to uh, a place that could lead to further awakening. And so I did a lot of... Um, seeking towards trying to um, resolve that. And um, I really got very serious about my spiritual practice and, um, you know, continue to explore more and find different paths that really resonated with me. So, yes. <laughs> and most recently I went on a, a two month retreat with that lineage. Yeah. Right. You can totally name that lineage if you'd like. Sure. Yeah, it's um, Patanjali Kundalini Yoga Care is the name of their organization. And the lineage itself is called Kundalini Vidya. And it's about a 600-year-old uh, lineage um, that's been studying various types of Kundalini in India. 
Right, right. So I, I'm familiar with their their lineage as well. I've I've read their books. Uh, Joan Harrigan, uh, she's brilliant. They have some of the most sophisticated teachings when it comes to Kundalini. Uh, admittedly, um, a lot of their stuff is far more advanced than 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 my, my own understanding by far. And so I'm very humbled whenever I, uh, I, I, I look into any of their work. It, it's incredible work for sure. Um, if you don't mind, can you give us a little bit more uh, information about that time? I, I think you said about five years ago where you began to have that sort of experience, which you thought was an initial Kundalini awakening. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? I'm sure I might uh, bring it up again later on in the conversation. And that's totally cool. But, but let us know what, what were you experiencing? What kind of brought that experience on? Yeah. Okay. So, well, you know, I think it was all going together with this period of, of time where I was exploring all kinds of different things that first year of grad school. Um, and so that summer, you know, I was just kind of um, taking a week off and doing a lot of meditating. Um, so I was mostly alone. And I remember, you know, one day I was meditating and I started having some spontaneous body movements. Um, and I said, oh, that's strange. I've never experienced something like that. And at that point, I, I had heard the, the word Kundalini before, I think from your blog, but it had never really like registered too much. I mean, it was so, I guess maybe it was um, something that's so out there that I hadn't, it just didn't register for me. Um, and so it was kind of brand new to me. Um, so after I started having these spontaneous body movements, you know, I had like rushes of, of pretty intense energy. Um, and I was pretty frightened by it actually at the time. And, you know, I found it like really scary and um, I didn't know what was going to happen next, you know, um, it felt very kind of um, uh, almost like uh, it was it was almost like uh, I just felt so out of control and, and there was like a, uh, uh, almost a little bit brutal. Um, and I had all kinds of body sensations, like strange different sensations all over. Um, I wasn't, I was able to um, not sleep at all and feel completely energetically charged. Um, and then I also experienced my kind of like my lower mind just turning off completely. Um, like I couldn't function, like I couldn't read. I couldn't even like watch a movie and understand what was happening. And it was like that lower mind um, was completely gone. And, um, and it was more like I was just in like a present moment space uh, where I just saw th this interconnection between all things. And like, I remember saying to a friend that it felt like everything was a synchronicity, like everything that existed was like an interconnected synchronicity. <laughs> um, and I mean, it was incredibly beautiful, a little scary and, um, uh, I remember things were kind of like in slow motion and um, that 
I became like very pure, meaning like I didn't really have many inhibitions or like felt like there was a lot of conditioning about myself that um, that was controlling me basically. And I had a friend that at the time that was like, you're kind of like a wild animal at the <laughs> right now. Because <laughs> I just kind of did whatever I wanted and just kind of like went with the flow. And, and, uh, and, um, but anyway, so, um, anyway, there, so there was a lot of um, amazingness to it, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, and so, after it end it lasted about two weeks and it was kind of like tripping on acid for about two weeks straight mm-hmm. <laughs> and so after it ended i was like you know i went straight back to normal um and i was like what the heck that is just how could i just go straight back to normal after that experience you know <laughs> um and so then i was like seeking so i was like you know, kind of like wanting more of it and also just wanting to understand um, what had happened. And so that's when I think you told me about um, uh, PKYC or Kundalini Vidya and I got an assessment through them and they said, you've actually come, you know, here into, into this life with already a Kundalini rising. And that was the experience of it going into your brain temporarily but it can't it doesn't rest there so it, it falls back down yeah interesting very very fascinating so during this this two-week period this is when you were studying uh your master's degree yes it was okay, okay. so so i'm sure you know that. Uh, sometimes there's a big, big chasm between spirituality and science. And considering that you're coming from a background in psychology, which of course we know is the, the, the scientific study of the mind. And today, after having you know completed your education up until this point, uh, you're an accomplished counselor. Uh, did you ever, throughout this journey, doubt the validity of what you were experiencing considering that on one hand, you're having these direct experiences of this very trippy stuff and you're finding out that it's called Kundalini and it's, you know, it comes from, you know, some weird esoteric traditions in India. It's got a lot to do with that kind of stuff. And then on the other hand, you're, you're studying about uh, mental health and, and counseling and supporting other people. And uh, it's very grounded in, in the scientific realm. Did you ever doubt that, you know, what you're experiencing within yourself in terms of your Kundalini phenomenon, in terms of your spiritual awakening, did you ever doubt that this was, this was valid, uh, considering the juxtaposition of, of your inner experience and your outer, you know, professional academic career? And, and if so, how did you overcome that? And, and what can you say to anybody else who's out there that's having direct experiences, yet still saying, I don't know if I'm crazy, I don't know if I am, you know, I'm, I've lost my mind. What can you say about that type of thing? <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a really good question. Um, yeah, I remember, you know, when I was having that experience that I was describing, you know, I was 
I was thinking about um, what I've learned in terms of like diagnosis so far in my graduate program. I was like, do I have bipolar or schizophrenia or what, you know, what's happening here? But, you know, it didn't, it wasn't, um, I didn't feel like it could fit in those diagnoses um, because, I mean, because I rec recognize that um, I was questioning it and I had been around people with psychosis before and, you know, they're completely lost in the psychosis and they aren't able to, you know, remove themselves and, and question it much. So, um, and then also, like, you know, there's so many fun parts of Kundalini phenomenon that um, just they're not even um, talked about in like a bipolar or schizophrenia. And so, um, it, it uh, you know, when I looked at it, I, I could tell it was more, um, more, it fit more into the description of Kundalini than, you know, some kind of a diagnosis. Um, but also, yes, it was, it was tough because, you know, I just finished this first year of grad school. I still, I was about to start, I was literally about to start my counseling internship, like within a month. Um, and I felt like <laughs> I was like, wow, I really don't know if I fit into this this program right now and who can I talk to about this? Um, I certainly didn't want to talk to any professors about it. <laughs> um, and, you know, I actually, funnily, funnily enough, I actually had a couple um, friends in the counseling cohort I was in um, who had experienced some Kundalini uh, before. So that was kind of nice uh, to have and, you know, made me feel like more comfortable. But, um, you know, I, um, I think because also I was exploring all kinds of different things and opening my mind quite a bit before it happened, I was like a little more accepting of it. Um, and to be honest, I've always been a little bit more... Um, uh, like intuitive, I've always intuited that there's something more than science, um, you know, from a younger age. And I've never been super scientifically oriented, even though, you know, I grew up in a family that was. Um, so, you know, in a way, like it was a little bit maybe easier for me to accept it than it is for some people. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's still hard, especially like when you're around a lot of people who, um, who are definitely unlikely to, to accept it. And, uh, and, you know, there's a fear, you know, I, I, there's many people I haven't told still in like the counseling realm about my experiences because, you know, a fear that they could, um, they could like put slap some kind of like idea on it with a diagnosis and it's like too sacred for me to, to share it with everyone like that so um well you know like what I guess I could say for to people who like are worried about like seeming seeming like they're crazy um I just like ask yourself like well what are like the benefits I'm getting from this and like what, um, how is this um, giving me like a deeper connection with, to myself or the divine? Um, and, you know, am I able to like um, 
question things and um you know if you're able to have some like objectivity and the question things like it's it's probably not psychosis um probably okay and you know there are some therapists out there that do understand kundalini process and um some people in the psychology world that do understand it I mean, it's not super common, but it's definitely getting more common. And so, you know, there are people you can find that will help you feel um, safe and supported. Great, great. That That's brilliant insight. I, I think you're right on the money there when you say that if you can maintain a sense of objectivity, uh, a feeling of groundness that's, that's able to actually take a step back and, and contemplate the, the phenomena, as opposed to just taking it and running with it and, and, you know, entering into a sort of psychosis, that's a clear sign that, you know, you haven't lost your mind. You haven't lost your mind. There's something else going on here that's allowing your, your rationality, your skepticism, your groundedness to remain within the experience to kind of temper things so that you don't go off the deep end. Of course, there are some people within um, that are within a Kundalini process that do kind of, lose it and and that's their journey and and eventually hopefully they do come to a sense of objectivity like you've mentioned but for the most part i think that people that are that are listening to a conversation like what we're having or that are looking into this type of thing they're seeking clarity and the very fact like you mentioned that you're seeking clarity is a clear indication that you know you, you haven't lost your mind that, that's that's great insight great insight it reminds me a little bit about Ram Das, he was psychology professor at Harvard, a doctor, right? And, and and even he was having spiritual experiences that that caused him to um not only question what his spiritual experiences were, but also to question the validity of of the scientific approach. And and so it can go both ways as well. Um he saw that as a little bit um, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, I just want to say like, yeah, like the like diagnostic, like psychology world, like shouldn't necessarily be like the standard for like what's true and real as well, you know, like, um, and, and yeah, like some people with bipolar and schizophrenia might actually be having a, a spiritual experiences, but yeah, that then you have to find that balance between, um, how to like, um, ground everything and, um, bring everything, you know, back to like a healthy sense of reality as well. Yeah. Right. And I think that is the Kundalini journey in a nutshell as well. We go from being mundane human beings to having incredible spiritual experiences to recognizing that there's more to our existence than, you know, this flesh, fleshy bodies here. And then we bring our spiritual transcendent experiences back into the body once again. And, and so I, I, I think that's important as well, if we can learn how to find that balance, like you mentioned, and it doesn't have to come right away. That is the journey. And it can take years to really find that balance. Uh, for myself, I only feel like within the past couple of years, I've really been able to find that balance where I don't have strong, overwhelming spiritual experiences that are interfering with my worldly life or with my worldly relationships or are causing me to, you know, um, want to retreat. I feel like I've finally come to a point where I'm grounded and it took, you know, more than, more than 10 years to really get to this point. Um, but that's great insight. Thank you. 
Okay, so Justina just uh, lost connection, so she's back here. So we'll pick up where we left off. So we were just speaking about uh, one of the major challenges that people are, are faced with is doubting the validity of the Kundalini experience of spiritual awakening, of all that strange phenomena. Now, the other challenge that I come across with a lot of people that I work with is they may acknowledge the validity of the Kundalini process. They may recognize that it is a, a real phenomena. They may, are, they may be willing to acknowledge that people have experienced it around the world um, throughout many different traditions. Um, there's tons and tons of information about it online, for example. And yet still, though they acknowledge it's real, they don't feel worthy of experiencing it for themselves. They feel insecure, right? And so as a result of, of this insecurity, of this lack of worthiness, they may sabotage themselves um, in, in many different ways, either avoiding the topic completely, maybe it's escaping through drugs or alcohol, maybe it's through um, um, medicating in, in different ways, or, or in some way or another sabotaging themselves. So I'm wondering, have you ever felt this type of unworthiness yourself? And, and if so, where are you at in terms of your, your relationship with that today? And what can you share with people who, who are also dealing with that type of unworthiness on their journey as well? Yeah, I, I've had plenty of that <laughs> on my journey. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think for me, it's been mostly like, um, like thoughts of like, I'm not worthy enough to become like fully awakened or enlightened in this lifetime or kind of like um, doubting myself and holding myself uh, back with that. Um, or, you know, and also, you know, I've played like comparison games with, you know, other people's awakenings, like, oh, those people, you know, they're the ones that they're, they're more awake. <laughs> They've got it together. Um, so yeah, you know, I've, I've done plenty of that. Um, and I guess, you know, um, there have been many times where, um, like, I realized, though, that underneath all of that kind of wounding that um, caused me, causes me to make, make me feel unworthy um, is, like, a sense of um, just, like, divine goodness and, uh, you know, love and, you know, that connection with true self. And, you know, fr from that kind of space, there is no unworthiness whatsoever. I mean, like, that's just what you are. <laughs> and so it like almost doesn't make sense from that perspective. And of course it, you know, it's hard to always stay in that perspective because like this world is hard and we're challenged a lot and we're wounded a lot to, to not be able to be in touch with that. Um, like there's a lot that can cover it. Um, but, you know, if we can kind of reconnect with that sometimes, um, or have it reflected back to us in a teacher, it can be really helpful. Also, another thing that recently came to me actually was that in a way, like we also just don't have time to be unworthy. Like, you know, the world is, is struggling right now. And like, we're like here to like shine our light and to like do the best we can and um, to uh, really express like um, that divinity into the world so that like things, things can change. And um, so, yeah, we, we just uh, need to like, 
<laughs> use our time wisely and, and just not listen sometimes to that voice of unworthiness and do the things that we're afraid of uh, doing, but we feel called to doing. Yeah. Right. I really like that. It's like a, a bit of a pep talk. Yeah. There's a lot of work that needs to be done and we've been invited to do that work. And, and you're coming here and saying, Hey, buddy, we don't have time to not feel worthy about this role that we've been given. We don't have time for that type of, you know, conversation even let's get on with the work. Um, and, and that's th that direct insight can definitely be very powerful to just cut through that insecurity um, at times. And of course, I'm sure at other times it becomes very overwhelming. Um, I felt it myself as well. You know, you contemplate how significant spiritual awakening is and what is being offered, right? A chance to be connected with all that is with the divine and then to embody it. That's quite an offering. It's, it's very much quite an offering. And I, I, I know for myself, you know, you don't feel like uh, you're worthy of it for, for many different reasons. You know, maybe it's because you feel like you're a sinner and then maybe you come from a, a religious background that condemns sinners. And, and so, you know, at least me growing up uh, in a Catholic background, we're told, you know, if you're a sinner, your chance of going to heaven and being one with God are greatly diminished. I mean, let's, mm -hmm. let's not even, not even consider the fact that you'll go in the opposite direction down to hell where you'll burn for all eternity. But just the fact that you're a sinner, there's no, I mean, you gotta, you gotta do some, some serious work to, to connect with God and in, in heaven and whatnot. And so that, especially as a young child, that really influences you. And so when you begin to explore these ideas of spiritual awakening and experiencing that oneness with God in this life, well, it's, it's, it's quite intense to, to contemplate, um, that you are worthy of it. But I really like what you said there. There's work to be done here. We don't have time to contemplate, you know, our unworthiness so much. We should get on with it, accept it, accept this is real. It is happening to you. This is a, an incredible offering. And of course, if it's coming to you, we're all worthy of it. Um, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Great. I really like that. I hope that people out there listening can really take away uh, some value from your message. I'm sure they will. So throughout the series, there's been some major themes that I've been speaking about. And one of them is, is surrendering to the Kundalini process. So one of the clearest ways that I've kind of understood it uh, and, and shared about it in, 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 in my perspective is that it's kind of like a caterpillar surrendering to the cocoon, surrendering to the transformative experience that's going to happen in the cocoon, the metamorphosis. The caterpillar doesn't know anything about, you know, butterflies. It doesn't know anything about the the biological process that's going to unfold. It doesn't know about maybe how long it's going to take. It doesn't know any of that. It just has an inclination to go into the cocoon and it surrenders wholeheartedly. Um, of course, caterpillars don't have these, these hardened, resistant egos that we have. Um, and so they surrender quite easily with, with grace. Whereas us as human beings, you know, we go through life, we're conditioned. Um, um, our, our egos become more and more uh, solidified, you could say. And so surrender can be a challenge. 
but of course it's absolutely necessary when going through the Kundalini process. So what can you tell us about your relationship with, with surrendering to your process? Was there any particular insights that kind of uh, spoke to you or that came to you? Was there any particular experiences that um, led you to surrender? How can you speak about surrender in the, in, within the context of, of your personal journey? Um, well, you know, I guess for me, um, the times where it's been the most hard to surrender is when, you know, I'm going through like some painful, like difficult, emotional, like upheaval type stuff. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of the time I've like wanted to, to push, push it away and like, kind of go back to, you know, feelings of goodness or bliss or you know uh we always tend to want to go in that direction which is not bad but it's just like you know if you just do that like you will integrate everything and heal everything so um so yeah for me i think it's been um a challenge to uh surrender to working through some of those really painful and difficult places um and um so sometimes I've just been like, you know what? It's totally okay to feel completely shitty right now. <laughs> like, like, you know, just complete acceptance for feeling really crappy and just, and I feel like just, you know, having that intention or mindset helps you to let go into whatever might be challenging, um, you to surrender to it. And, um, and then like allows you to work through it like a little more easier. Um, so that's definitely been the truth for me. And also actually sometimes the theme of surrender has come up with like um, more like, you know, good things in a way too, where like, um, you know, I have trouble allowing like <laughs> really good feelings inside or like even sometimes like blissful feelings inside. Um, and, um, and, or believing that, um, you know, there's been also like doubt in God, um, like doubt that God, um, will, you know, transform me. And so, but then I realized like God is always, you know, working, working on us and, uh, that it does take some trust to realize like, Hey, I, like, I'm not like the one who's doing all this, um, that God is doing this, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of have to realize that like my ego doesn't really know how to do that spiritual transformation. <laughs> like how does, how would it know? And so, and so, you know, letting go into to God doing that for you. Right. Yeah. Right. That that's real faith, real lived direct experience of faith in action, faith in God. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just a vague concept. It's a very real thing. And, and like you're saying, when you're going through those difficult emotions, difficult, you know, painful things, whether it's illness, uh, emotional upheaval, there's not much that you can do other than allow it to be there and allow God to carry out that transformation for sure. Mm -hmm. And, and would you say that surrender is an an ongoing thing that has to be revisited and recalibrated repeatedly over and over in your journey? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think like every day, <laughs> like every day, I mean, like um, every day, you know, my, one of my teachers, Greg Holiday, he says like, 
to say a prayer for God to, you know, speak through you, to, to act through you, to heal through you, to be through you. Um, and so that's kind of like one of my ongoing prayers also kind of going along with my work as a counselor and a coach too. Um, but yeah, I think every day I also, I mean, I feel like surrender can also just be like, you know, I'm surrendering just like listening to my own mind too. And so that's something like I do daily, like, you know, in my practice and, and outside of it, like when I notice I'm getting so caught up in the mind or the ego, like, you know, surrendering my uh, attachment to it in that moment. Right, right on. Yeah, yeah that, that's what I found as well. Especially certain certain people on the path that understand that they have to surrender. They're, okay, I, I get it. I'm going through something difficult. I have to surrender. And then they feel that surrender is going to be a single moment where once they finally reach that that pinnacle of surrender, then it's smooth sailing from there on out. There are significant moments where huge chunks of resistance and conditioning and ego can fall away. But mm -hmm. I don't, I personally don't think that there's ever a point where there's one final surrender and then it, that's it. Maybe in death. But like you said, it's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. And maybe when you're, you know, for example, you mentioned that prayer that you have, it's a beautiful prayer. Uh, and it's from Craig Holiday, who's a brilliant, brilliant spiritual teacher. I'm going to ask you a little bit about the teachers that uh, have really uh, resonated with you a little later on. And maybe you can speak a little bit more about Craig and your work and your relationship with him. But that prayer, it doesn't necessarily also need to be said in a moment of a lot of resistance and fighting. Sometimes you could be totally at ease and relaxed in a sort of state of surrender to a degree. And you can say a prayer that will take you even deeper even deeper into that trust. So there's many layers and, 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 and I, I just wanted to, to reiterate that it's not a single event. It's something that happens over and over again. And that's something that a lot of people that I, I speak with uh, have trouble um, understanding. And of course, it would be nice if we could just come to one moment and then something clicks and it's just, you know, we're in the flow from there on out. But that that's, it sounds nice when you're on one side, but I, I imagine if, if there was a moment like that, the journey wouldn't be as exciting. Um, yeah. uh, part of the challenge and the joy of this journey is working through the things like resistance, you know, the conditioning, the the humanness. So, so I, I like uh, I like what you've shared there about about surrender. Mm -hmm. So let's let's tie in surrender a little bit more with with your direct experience when it comes to kriyas. So you mentioned earlier on in our in our talk here today that um, you were experiencing spontaneous movements happening to you during that period in which you felt uh, um, a, a lot of spiritual phenomena, a lot of kundalini phenomena was taking place. And so those spontaneous movements um, within Sanskrit, they're known as kriyas. I'm sure you knew, knew. I'm sure you know that. I'm just speaking for our audience here. So the kriyas themselves. I know that uh, in, in our conversations in the past, you've mentioned that you've had some pretty interesting, uh, sometimes pretty intense kriyas um, occur occurring for you. T tell us a little bit about that. I know it can be a little bit personal as well, but please share what you're willing to share so that those out there that are going through this very bizarre phenomena known as kriyas spontaneously moving, put them at ease a little bit, give them a little bit of an insight that, that you've gained from your experience going through, through your uh, process. 
Yeah. I actually think it's fun to talk about Koreas now. <laughs> I mean, there's there's definitely been some times that I've been like, this is really weird. Like, <laughs> um, but, you know, I, with the help of, you know, some teachers, I got more comfortable with it. But anyway, yeah, I've had some really weird ones. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like I mentioned, I had some at that ex- in that experience when I was 29. Um and at that time, it was actually like more mild, just kind of like a rocking back and forth and like my head moving back and forth and stuff. Um, but then, you know, I think like a year or two after that, I started, I went to um, an energy healing or I went to um, two different energy healings and um, I had like really intense Kriyas for like months afterwards. And um, you know, I've had Kriyas where, um, you know, I'm doing like different mudras and stuff, um, almost like I, like my body, my whole body is doing a dance. Um, I've had um, ones where it's just like kind of like an upward shaking motion. Um, I've even had like uh, an experience of like speaking a different language coming through my throat, (laughs) Um, which really freaked me out at that time. Um, And so then I was talking to my, you know, I had some one-on-one sessions at that time with Greg Holliday, um, one of my spiritual teachers. And he was just like, you know, I see this all the time. <laughs> like, just let it flow. He was like, just let it flow. So I would just like let it flow with him completely. Um, and then it just turned like kind of fun and interesting. And, um, and you know, it was kind of, I mean, like now I just kind of think of Kriyas as like this amazing phenomenon and expression of kundalini shakti and um and it i don't know there's something really amazing about like knowing that like god has taken hold of you like that and it's like can feel actually comforting in a way too um and so i i guess also um another time i've had kriyas is when I would feel a really intense love for someone in my heart. Sometimes that would cause me to have kind of some Kriyas as well. Um, so yeah, they can, they can happen for, uh, I guess, a lot of different reasons or different ways, but usually, uh, you know, what people have told me about them is that they're trying to clear out something from like our, the nadis or like the energy channels in our system. Um, Uh, but I also think that they can be, you know, when like the, like a divine presence has come into us and wants to express itself through us. Cause when I had those, um, the kind of like the dancing movements and the, the speaking a different language ones, it, it felt more like there was like a goddess wanting to like express herself through me or something. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Though I I knew what you're speaking about, I never conceptualized it in this way. So there are the kriyas that come to purify, cleanse, and release something pent up, and then there's some of the then there's kriyas that are apparently a little bit more recreational, you could say, 
just to allow the divine to flow and express. And, and I'm sure it feels incredible when you're experiencing, you know, for example, the uh, speaking in tongues or speaking like, you know, sometimes they call it a, a light language. It, it feels incredible. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, it can. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and there are some Kriyas uh, that, that um, maybe don't feel so good but they're, mm-hmm. they're functional, they're, they're clearing something out. So that's important for people to understand as well. And, and I think what you've shared there will allow them to bring a little bit more context to their experience so that they can understand a little bit of whether they're, they're going through a, a cleansing or they're going through a, a great auspicious um, experience in which the divine is just flowing just as mm-hmm. a as a gift in the way that the bliss comes almost as if it's like a gift um mm-hmm. just as you were speaking there about about um the, the purification and whatnot a, an idea came to me which was that sometimes people of course i mean this is very bizarre the idea of, of kriyas it's spontaneously moving it's it's very very far out but if we look at a uh, a dog You'll notice that if a dog goes through any sort of little bit of stress, maybe there's uh, um, they're 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 on a walk and they and they're being pulled on the leash, or mm-hmm. they're kind of you know you you bump into them or something. Immediately after, they shake it off. They just shake their entire body, and that is essentially the same function as a kriya. You could say it is a kriya. It's a spontaneous uh, movement releasing pent up tension trauma conditioning it's just that the dogs are are so wise that they do it immediately uh, they don't they don't carry that stress with them in the way that we do we you know we 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 haven't been taught to shake it off in the, in, in the moment and so we carry it with us and we store it in our in our, our in our muscles in our joints in our psyche until we come to you know the the beautiful process of the kundalini where it sort of starts to move through us and takes us through those kriyas um, that's just a little something that just came to me was just to, to, to think of dogs. You know, when we see a dog shake, we don't think they're crazy or something. We understand what they're doing, but why can't we do the same thing? And, and then that's what these Kriyas really are. Yes. And, and, um, and, you know, psychotherapy, we talk a lot about trauma and trauma healing and trauma healing is really about like completing this fight or flight response that got like stuck and trapped in the body. And so like, it needs like some movement or like the nervous system needs to find a way to unfreeze by like letting off like some of this energy. And so, yeah, like all of us have had like a lot of trauma in this life or past lives. I mean, some more, more than others, but Kundalini's one of, what, what, one of the things that Kundalini does is, um, uh, release that energy. For sure. And I've experienced yeah. it myself as well, directly relating to the, uh, the fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Maybe you have as well. It, it, have you ever had extreme, um, it's like you're in having an adrenaline rush, but not triggered by anything in your, in your outer circumstances. Have you experienced something like that? No, I haven't, but I've, I've experienced like, um, you know, ever since I started having Kundalini, like after I've gone through an experience where I'm, I'm stressed, um, I'll just like shake for a while, <laughs> just like letting it go, but it didn't really happen before Kundalini. So I guess it's like 
you know, just more energy moving, I suppose. Right, right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Okay, so the other um, topic that I speak about in the series is uh, we, we've spoken about meditation and and using meditation as a means to connect with the Kundalini, as a means to surrender, as a means to cultivate peace, as a means to create an open space in which we can allow these phenomena and these things to arise safely, knowing that whatever's arising in a meditation, it's all good. Um, what's your meditation practice been like? Um, if you have one at all, is it a, is it something that has evolved over the years? Um, let us know what, what's, what can you say about meditation in your personal experience? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think I started exploring meditation when I was a teenager, like around 15, like I was talking about earlier. Um, but I didn't actually have a regular practice until like my late twenties. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I've also been diagnosed with ADHD. So I think, you know, for a while, I really didn't know how to hold still or <laughs> it was kind of a challenging thing for me. And so it took like a lot of um, just uh, figuring out like what's the right kind of meditation for me and then just like more dedication to my path to have a regular practice. But yeah, so. Um, you know, I guess for the last five or six years, I've had a regular meditation practice. Uh, and currently I do kind of a combination of meditation, um, asana and pranayama every day. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I feel like if now I can't imagine not having a meditation practice because it's so helpful. It's like, um, it's like setting the tone for my day and also um, releasing, um, you know, the things that I've like kind of accumulated throughout the day um, and, and always kind of resetting my attention or yes, resetting my attention to like what and what I really am inside and, and, you know, operating from there. Um, because I, I've realized, hey, it's like so easy to get lost in the world. And especially coming back into the world after this two month retreat I went on in January and February. Um, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's really hard to be in the world. And it's hard to remember all this, <laughs> this stuff in the world, because it's such a challenging place. Um, and so like, I've just found practice is like so crucial. Um, for my spiritual path, like staying on the spiritual path, but also just like relaxing and letting things go too. Great. Great. Yeah. yeah. Would you recommend that everybody meditates or do you see that um, for some people at certain times, depending on what they're going through, it's not really the answer for them. And I'm asking you from a spiritual perspective, but also with your, with your background as a counselor, um, uh, the reason I'm asking is for a while, when I first discovered meditation, I thought this was the answer to everything. And no matter what anybody came to with any problem, I was like, oh, you just got to meditate. If you don't meditate, uh, you're not going to really see any progress or anything like that. Uh, do you feel like everybody should meditate or, or is it not necessarily for everyone? Yeah, I, I don't think it's for everyone um, all the time. I mean, I think 
So I think that meditation is something that like everyone could benefit from at some point if they're in the right space. And actually all like spiritual traditions, all religions, like that's one of the main practices is meditation. Um, They might call it different things, but, you know, it's all meditation. Um, But, you know, coming from a therapy perspective, you know, if someone has a serious trauma and they meditate, um, they they are just overwhelmed by the fight or flight stimulus that is still in their body. And so it can be re-traumatizing. I also, um, when I was 21, I did a long Vipassana retreat. Uh, It was a 10-day one. We meditated 10 hours a day. And I, it was very difficult for me. And I think it's because I, um, you know, first of all, you know, I hadn't, I didn't have a regular practice at that age. And then second of all, I I think I carry quite a heavy karmic load of trauma from past lives and this lives. And so I became very dissociated during that retreat or, um, uh, like, uh, felt like nothing was real and had like frequent panic attacks and such. Um, and you know, it took me like a month to recover from that, or maybe it was longer. Um, and so, you know, I've experienced firsthand, like when meditation is not good for you or you're doing too much at once. Um, and yeah, and, and of course, you know, if you have trauma, it can be overwhelming, overstimulating. Um, So I think that, you know, if someone has trouble with meditation or if they have some trauma, it does help to find, um, you know, different ways to heal first. Um, And then, you know, meditation can be, you know, attempted. And there's also like many different types of meditation, you know, like you can also do a walking meditation if holding still is too much or I consider like qigong uh, a, a type of medita- moving meditation as well. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it's like for everyone all the time, but it has like great benefit once um, once you're able to find the right kind for you, and once you're in a more kind of healed space where you can uh, handle the the inner world and be able to have like the resources to, to handle it. Yeah. Right on. Right. Yeah. And that that's typically what I, I recommend to people lately, especially within the Kundalini context. Sometimes they come to me and they say, oh, okay, you know, what, what practices should I do? And I just use the word, be organic with your practice, nothing forced, nothing synthetic move in a way that feels right for you, whether it's some sort of moving meditation, some sort of uh, asana practice, qigong. Meditate in a way that's comfortable and feels right, as opposed to a rigorous on-schedule thing. For some people, that's what they need. They need that structure. But for many people, I feel like too much meditation can bring about some some challenges like you mentioned. can bring up a little, can bring a lot of stuff up a little, maybe too quickly, uh, unnecessarily. And so that's why I like to say, just, just be organic in your practice, move in a way that feels natural for you, sit still in a way that feels natural for you. And, and, and if there comes a time where you're required to meditate intensely for lengthy periods of time, 
that'll be all that you want to do. And so that's what happened to me. There was a, a year where I meditated at least two hours a day, sometimes three, sometimes four. And, and people, if I told somebody that, they may say, wow, you're so committed. And I would say, no, no, I can't do anything else. That is the <laughs> only thing that I can do to deal with what's coming up within me. It's wow. like sleeping. So it's not that I'm doing this out of some sort of, you know, um, intense dedication or commitment or discipline. It's literally what I have to do. And, and I'm just, I'm just curious, did you ever have any experiences like that where you feel I, I, I'm, I'm so looking forward to meditating You're not even looking forward. It's so you're, you absolutely need to meditate. Did you ever go through that on your path, especially within the Kundalini process? Yeah. Um, well, I definitely have had, you know, looking forward to meditation, but it's never been like, well, okay. I don't think it's been the same type of necessity as you're talking about. Um, Cause I've had like a, a gentler Kundalini process, I believe. Um, but in a way, like on a soul level, I feel like it is like, I have to, like, I literally have to, because um, I find this world to be like, so like, um, like painful in a way. Um, <laughs> and it's like, I have a memory of like, that it can be different or something, or, you know, um, I don't know if I spent some time in another realm or something, but it's like, I don't know how people get through life without the spiritual path. Like I would literally die. <laughs> like I, I would probably have like committed suicide. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like dark, yeah. but but truly like without like spirituality, I would not like honestly want to be in the world at all. Like uh, there's no way. <laughs> I, can, I can relate with you 100%. I'm the same way. I'm very sensitive. Uh, yeah. Whenever I'm, I'm triggered, whenever I'm going through something difficult, immediately I turn to my path and mm -hmm. I, I observe other people who go through it, much more difficult things than I've ever gone through. And it just seems like they are able to to get by without turning to to a it to, to doing that deep inner work and i don't look upon them as if they're less than or as if they're doing something wrong i'm humbled by their resilience and by their strength to somehow continue in life, going through intensely difficult things without a spiritual practice. Because for me, the things that brought me to my path by comparison weren't that difficult, but for me, they were very difficult. And that's what drew me to spirituality. But I just, I couldn't bear it. I was, I was almost, you know, the things that I was going through were so debilitating to me that I had to mm -hmm. find spirituality. So when I look at other people and they say, oh, I, I don't meditate and I see them really killing it in life, everything is going quite well for them. I'm impressed. I don't know how they do it. And I, I, I don't want to invite them to the spiritual path. I mean, by all means, continue, continue with whatever it is that's getting you by in life. I'm, I'm very impressed by that. Um, meditation has been definitely a core part of my life, but, and, and like I said, there were times where I wanted to, or I thought everybody needed to do it. But at this point, I think, I think you and I are in similar places. I don't, I don't feel like it's for everybody at all times, but definitely, definitely one of the greatest things I've ever um, been, been blessed to, to discover. I, I did a 10-day Vipassana retreat as well. 
Um, I, I did it in, in 2012. Um, was that the same year as you or? It was 2009 for me. Okay. Yeah. So it's been over, over 10 years. Um, yeah. Right. So that mm -hmm. retreat for me was, was when I first began um, uh, trying to meditate and I couldn't sit for more than five minutes. Um, so when I went through that retreat, which is, uh, uh, for those listening who are familiar, Vipassana is a, is a Buddhist technique, Buddhist, uh, meditation technique. Uh, they don't speak about Kundalini in a very direct way at all, but I'm sure that many people that do practice this, this, uh, this technique begin to experience, um, um, some Kundalini phenomena for sure. But uh, this retreat, it's uh, 10 days in silence, and uh, they teach you how to meditate uh, in uh, the style of Vipassana. And it's, for me as well, it was very difficult. To this day, it's one of the most difficult things I've ever done. Um, because uh, like you, I had a lot of things coming up, and it was very painful, like literally physically painful to sit. But definitely, uh, looking back, um, definitely laid the foundation for my meditation practice, um, which, like I mentioned, has become organic. It's become organic in the way that I recommend other people as well. So I don't have a strict routine or anything like that. But anyway, I'm talking a little bit too much about myself. <laughs> so let's, um, let's bring it back to you. Um, Self-love, self-love. I love this topic. Um, I know in our previous conversations, it's meaningful for you as well, self-love. So where does this idea of self-love fit into your spiritual process? How has it um, shaped you or, or facilitated your unfolding and awakening and transformation? Yeah, well, that's another really crucial thing. And <laughs> just like meditation has been for me or spiritual practice has been for me. I mean, it is part of my spiritual practice. I mean... Um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of like, uh, pain in my life of, um, you know, from a young age of, uh, self-judgment and self-criticism and, um, like comparison of myself with others. Um, and, and like you said, I'm, I've always been like very sensitive as well. Um, you know, so I, I you know, I, I will take things in very deeply that, um, other people have said, or, you know, as a kid, I did experience like some abuse that led to like low self-esteem and, um, led to, you know, a lot of inner criticism. So I've had to definitely learn how to be more kind to myself. And, um, I like, you know, Matt Kahn is really great with the self-love stuff. And, um, I get my practice has been some of his, like, I love views on the heart. Um, but also just like, um, being loving to myself in, in other ways, like, um, all the different kinds of self-care ways of, you know, body, mind, and spirit, um, and doing the right things for myself and recognizing, um, recognizing that, you know, my way of being in the world might be like different than like the norm, but that's okay. I think that's been a big self love point for me on the spiritual path, because, you know, when you're a very sensitive person and <laughs> you're going through pro like Kundalini process, like you have to you realize how different you are and you can't like really do life in the same ways <laughs> or is busy or, uh, 
as, you know, um, you know, going about life in like kind of like the same, same way. So as you might see other people do, so you have to really honor like what is good for you on your path. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like an ongoing thing for me. I feel like, you know, I also practice like, um, speaking lovingly to myself on a daily basis and reminding myself not to be so hard on myself. And, um, and, you know, I think sometimes I've also like, um, I feel like, you know, with Kundalini process, I, I, it helped me start recognizing I like that my nature is love. My nature is love underneath that all. Um, and so there are, are definitely times where I'm just like, <laughs> like, well, that's all, like, I am love and, and, uh, like, you know, I, I, it's hard to even remember like some of these judgments or self-criticisms, but then, you know, I've kind of gone back and forth, like between like that divine perspective and like the human perspective and having to integrate both of those, like work on like the wounded human, but also recognizing like i'm divine and am love right right and like we said earlier as well that is the journey right bringing that divine love that transcendence into our, our human experience for me self-love I, I i define it as the willingness to allow anything whether it's a thought feeling emotion or experience to arise within ourselves. So in the midst of Kundalini process, when intense things are coming up, like horrible, horrible, dark, violent things are arising within me emotionally, psychologically, physically, whether it's illness, um, the self-love is giving myself permission to experience those things. So uh, let's, uh, we're going to jump ahead a, a little bit here. I, I, I have, have, have you experienced that? type of a uh, type of thing where self-love has has created the space for you to go through those difficult experiences um and challenges like um like dark nights of the soul or emotional upheaval and and if it's not just self-love that got you through those types of things what else uh ha has helped you to, to move through those challenges on your path Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had plenty of like emotional upheaval. <laughs> uh, you know, I've definitely like, like I said, I, I've, I've, I think I came into this life with quite a bit of trauma from past lives. And I had trauma in this life, too. So um, a lot of that has come up um, in various ways with various triggers on this path. And, um, and so, um, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, I think like that, like perspective of like being able to see like I am divine and I am love, like it really helps. It has really helped me to um, not get totally lost in like some of these like really like dark thoughts that can come up when like you're triggered, you know, um, and are having some experience of um, like a like a dark night or um, just like. Uh, triggering some like um, self-hatred or self-judgment and stuff like that. So like, yeah, it really has helped me to not get completely lost in, in that sort of stuff because that stuff is, is really like dense and, um, and can 
try to be very convincing to you. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah. Um, and also self-acceptance. I think self-acceptance also can be so helpful. Um, so like there have been times where, you know, uh, I've uh, had some triggering where I've thought, oh, I'm like such a bad person or had some like terrible spiral into like self-judgment. Um, but then like just totally accepting like any possibility that <laughs> that that might uh, that those things might be true or that yes I might have done something wrong or uh, maybe uh, you know I I have a horrible shadow you know just being like maybe I am an asshole sometimes like that has been like deeply helpful just to like kind of embrace it all yeah I, I like that I like that yeah to just get a little real and say yeah I'm, I've I've done some wrong things and that's okay. We all have, mm -hmm. who hasn't, you know, there's yeah. nobody, there's nobody that hasn't. Great. Great. Mm -hmm. So let's shift gears a little bit from speaking about the darker, more challenging, difficult, emotional things. And let's talk about something a little bit more exciting. Um, have you had any interesting experience of, of mystical phenomena uh, on your path uh, with Kundalini and, and spiritual awakening? Yeah, well, I guess, you know, my first experiences with that would be like that, at that time when I was 29 and I had just all those, that like major shift in consciousness and um, just like the beauty of seeing like all this interconnection and like seeing everything as like this interconnected synchronicity um and um yeah at that time i also had this uh interesting um <laughs> it felt like i was like uh being told some things by like some extraterrestrial beings as well which was an interesting phenomena and that was a little bit hard for me to accept at first um but since then you know I've accepted a little more and um so you know you can have some like really bizarre things happen and um and yeah you know like uh, I think and uh, some things that happened to me on a more regular basis would be like just feeling I, I'm kind of a really religious about nature. <laughs> like I love nature. Like nature is like so uh I, it's like the present moment embodied at all times. Like everything's always going in a flow and everything. And it's like I feel like you can see like Shakti so much more in nature. Um and so like often like when I'll go into nature, I'll feel like kind of a sense of like oneness with the uh, with the uh, water often. I, I have this thing with water. I don't know why, but when I see like running water, um, I will feel like I'm just kind of like moving with it or, um, you know, feeling one with a tree or uh, with like, you know, your surroundings and stuff. And um yeah, I, I have a deep affinity for nature. Um, so yeah, so I've had like some really wild phenomenal experiences with like that rising that was, um, in that, that side naughty. 
Um, you know, I had like some, what I described some really wild ones there. Um, but actually lately it has been like more quiet. And when I was on that retreat, I was on, you know, I, I just tuned quite a bit into silence and just like how profound silence is and, um, how, yeah, it just, that that's the way that you get in touch with God the most is through silence and through quiet. Um, and, um, that was in a way like one of the most profound things, even though it wasn't really anything (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) was just being really in touch with that, that silence. And, um, and, you know, I, I was just like deeply grateful for for that. And um, it was like, you know, you hear a lot of different like teachers and spiritual mystics talk about silence and quietness and, you know, in different traditions. But, you know, it's easy to kind of overlook how important that is also. So since my Kundalini like shifted into the, the central channel, like, it actually hasn't been like super phenomenal, but, you know, just like more, uh, silence and, uh, quiet, like some more objectivity and stuff. Um, and, you know, this, um, and being able to kind of like, to like really feel like very, uh, tuned into like, uh, my surroundings, especially in nature and feeling that like sense of oneness and stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. So I feel that that is the culmination of this process is Mm. deeper and deeper oneness. It's not this super phenomenal, flashy, mystical, trippy experience. Mm -hmm. Those things of course can come and go. And uh, as they've happened to you, as they've happened to me, But like you mentioned, silence, stillness, that's where the real, the real uh, gift is of this process. Mm -hmm. And and I'm happy that you took it in that direction. Um, Because I did ask this question with a little bit of like childlike excitement, because I love the the mystical (laughs) phenomena. I love to hear about the far out experiences. And I'm sure many people do. But I'm very happy that you brought us back down to a grounded, uh, more more realistic stance as well. That uh, the the stillness, the silence, that is equally, if not more, significant than the mystical phenomena. And you know, sometimes I, I meet people who share experiences like what you've had. They say, I, you know, I've been having this extremely beautiful, blissful, magical experience for a month, two weeks, a few days, whatever it is. And it just got, it's gone. It's quiet. What went wrong? And I say, no, no, nothing has gone wrong. Mm-hmm. When bliss comes, when mystical phenomena comes, it's a sign of, of some great shifts taking place. It's a sign of great mm-hmm. progress on your path. But when they leave, that is not a sign of regression. It's not a sign of you doing something wrong. It's not a sign of, of uh, you not keeping up with what you're supposed to have been keeping up. When they leave, mm-hmm. it's just a new chapter. And eventually it brings us to this point where I like to call it, and, and I, I definitely get this, this vibe from you, there's a maturity about it. There's a maturity that 
rests in the oneness and the stillness and the silence. You look fondly back at your mystical experiences with a sense of awe and excitement, but there's something more mature that's evolved as well. And that's not to say that mystical phenomena doesn't or isn't going to come for you or I or somebody else in the future, probably will at some point or another, some interesting things will happen. But the real gift is there in the silence, in the stillness. Yeah. yeah, it's like about what is behind everything, like what doesn't pass, what doesn't change, like what's always there. And right. uh, so, yeah, like all the, the mystical stuff and the spiritual stuff and like, you know, that psychic stuff that people can get really into. And there's like cities and stuff, um, you know, like they're really cool. They are really cool to talk to and ex- talk about <laughs> and explore, but um I don't know for me personally, I've actually just like always wanted like a union with God. Like I just always want like just this oneness, like, uh, and to be completely absorbed in that. Um, and so, I mean, I think like that's where it's at and that's like what doesn't change. And that's like, um, what, what is more realistic to like integrate into you know daily life in this world. Right. Now I'm very happy that you brought us to this point um, because I, like I said, this is what I feel is the goal of this process up until this point in our conversation, we haven't really spoken about the goal. I don't like to speak about it too much because it's something that should be felt and experienced. And it can sometimes to somebody who wants extreme mystical phenomena to be the goal. If you share them, share with them in the way that you're sharing that it's just a very simple oneness, connectedness, peace. And, you know, they may not be so, so gung ho about the journey anymore, mm-hmm. but really what you're sharing, you know, you're sharing great wisdom, great mature wisdom. And, and, and I'm happy that, that you're, that, like you said, that's where you're at and that that's that place of oneness. And it's, it's, it's a very beautiful place to relate with other people, to relate with the world. And of course, relate with nature. Fantastic. So mm-hmm. speaking about relationships here. I've spoken a little bit in the series about having a relationship with Kundalini Shakti. Um, speaking about her as a, as a, as, as a feminine deity, as a goddess, Kundalini Shakti. Uh, I refer to her as she, we refer to her sometimes as the divine mother. Um, and, and personally, I have a relationship with her. It's not uh, a romantic relationship, but it, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a way of relating in which I can speak to her in the form of prayer. Um, I, can, I can feel her presence. I can at times hear her directly speaking to me. Um, I, I know that other people have these types of relationship with Kundalini Shakti as well, um, but everyone's a little bit different. Um, not everybody can hear her. Not everybody can, can feel her. Maybe some people receive visions. Um, maybe some people are more connected in uh, sort of the dream realm or the, 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 the visionary realms where they receive uh, or sort of her, her means of relating. Um, I, I, I also feel that maybe there are some people who have a more impersonal relationship with her in which that they don't, in a sense, kind of uh, anthropomorphize Pfizer, is that the word, uh, to make her a sort of deity, almost like a human. Um, and it's more of a general relationship in which they just say, I'm relating with source, I'm relating with the universe, or with my 
my inner being or my inner self or higher self or with my heart. Um, I, I personally, this relationship appealed to me, um, knowing that I could relate with her as a she and speak to her in that way. But for other people, maybe they aren't necessarily drawn to that type of relationship. Um, it's maybe a little bit too too specific and and too direct and they prefer a more general sense of I'm just relating with the universe I'm just relating with source but anyway I'm I'm rambling a little bit too much here what is your relationship like with your kundalini shakti if you have one at all yeah i so i do have a relationship with her but i feel like i also have like just like a general like usually more, I'm just kind of generally relating to God too. Um, and I used to not like the word God, by the way, like when I was younger and I was like wounded by Christianity, I hated it. But, uh, <laughs> but as I, you know, got older and walked the spiritual path, it kind of, you know, this, these, uh, thoughts and these um, conditionings around that word, God just kind of fell away. And it just feels like a pure word to me now. Um, but yeah, so, um, you know, sometimes I can just like feel like Kundalini, like in me, like really like sometimes more than other times, like where it's like just feeling like a very, like, like blissful expression, like through the center of my being. And, um, you know, I'll just feel so grateful and thankful uh, to her that she's like with me that like, you know, I have this like divine presence within me. And, um, you know, I, I do like, I will pray to, to Shakti and like ask her to like continue to transform me and to continue to guide me on my path. And uh, I also just have this like general prayer um practice to god and like talking to god and really it's got like have a, like a personal relationship with god and you know i don't see like god as like a being myself like i kind of see it as like a um <laughs> like a con all-pervading consciousness i guess um uh, that you know that i talk to but sometimes i will talk to god through like different forms like shakti or jesus or buddha uh and mother mary um i'm just looking at my altar right now which has all kinds of different uh, beings on it uh and so i you know i might like relate to god through all those forms but you know i think like shakti is um in all religions and in all forms too like shakti is is form you know is the creation of form itself and so I feel like Shakti can come through everything. Um, and, you know, Shakti is the, the source of awakening in all religions, even if people don't call it Kundalini. Yeah. Right, right. I, I'm, I'm the same way as well. I also relate with, with different deities, Shiva, Ganesh, Lakshmi, Jesus, um, what I've understood personally is that, like you said, very beautifully, it's this all-pervading consciousness. Personally, I find it sometimes a little difficult to relate with that vague concept of all-pervading consciousness, because it almost seems like 
all-pervading conscience doesn't have ears to hear me, my prayers, or it doesn't have a voice to speak back to me, to share with me some wisdom or some insight. Whereas if I sort of take that all-pervading consciousness and I put it into, I kind of uh, a bo uh, box it into a, 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 a statue on my altar or a picture or a concept of a, a deity that actually does have a sort of human figure and form, which can relate with me in, as a human, it feels a little bit more easy to, to have that relationship. But ultimately, of course, we recognize that it's an all-pervading consciousness. Um, of course, we know that some people can get a little fundamentalist and they get too attached to the form, right? And then they dismiss other forms. And, and of course, you know, you and I, we both know that they're, they're, they can be missing the point. It's that underlying essence that they all share, like you said. And Shakti is there in all, all religions, all traditions, all around yeah. the world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, and yeah, so, and what I think is cool about the forms is that like each deity or, you know, ascended master, or spiritual being, whatever you want to call it, they, they are embodying a different aspect of divinity. And so uh, I will, you know, if I'm praying about a specific thing, like, you know, I want more peace. I actually will pray to Buddha because he's, you know, he's like the ultimate peace, you know, deity to me. And then uh, Jesus, uh, you know, about love a lot of the time. Um, and, you know, Ganesh is like remover of obstacles. You know, there's so many different ones and, and so many traditions that um, embody like all these like many different aspects of divinity um, that and then it's easier to relate to 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 uh, just one small aspect than the whole thing at once. Yeah. Right, right. It it, it definitely it, it makes it easier to relate. Otherwise, it's it's very at least in my opinion, it's it's overwhelming. It's vague. It's hard to 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 actually get anywhere with this type of relationship if it's if it's too open ended. So. Yeah. Speaking about relationships a little bit more, I know that you've mentioned already a couple uh, of uh, the teachers and lineages that you've explored. Um, share with us a little bit about some some notable teachers that have uh, that have really spoken to you. Um, even if you've already mentioned them before, please by all means share a little bit more again. And and if you if you are belonging to a lineage or a tradition or not like let us know about that as well mm -hmm. yeah well so i've explored all kinds of different um traditions and religions from i don't know like my teenage years and so i have like a great affinity for like all re uh, religions and traditions and you know, I, I don't like think one is better than the other or anything like that. I just want people to know that because I, I just like feel like it's like varieties of ice cream. People are just drawn to a certain flavor because it's like just, you know, <laughs> what they're drawn to. So I think it's beautiful, like all of the the uh, different forms out there. So, um, yeah. So, you know, having said that more recently, like I've had like I found it helpful to just kind of hone in on certain lineages and teachers and like focus in on that um, over a period of time to get like what I can out of them. And so, uh, yeah, so but potentially Kundalini Yoga Care and Kundalini Vidya has been like immensely helpful for me. And, you know, they study like all the varieties of different 
Kundalini risings and also how to help people with, with different Kundalini risings to kind of help the Kundalini, like they prescribe different practices to help the Kundalini kind of progress um, so that it's not just like stuck in a certain channel or stuck in a certain like chakra area. Um, so I have found them incredibly helpful and that, you know, it's like, um, and just the, the wisdom in that lineage is, is really powerful and very like, um, you know, sometimes I, I feel like some spirituality is a little bit like, <laughs> like more surfacey or like wishy-washy or something, but you know, like lineages like that are just like, boom, like, you know, we're like here for God and like the goal and stuff. And you know, that's something that like I look for and I love. Um, so, and then, um, Craig Holiday has been my teacher for about three years too. And he is also a therapist and he also is a spiritual teacher. So he has this like great combination of having knowledge about therapy and um, how to, you know, heal various things and trauma work and all this. And he kind of puts it together with the spiritual work, which I think is like essential because uh, everyone has wounding and that's something uh, you have to work with on the spiritual path. And he has a lot of knowledge of Kundalini as well. He went through his own Kundalini process that was actually really difficult. He talks openly about it, just a very, very difficult Kundalini process. So, uh, you know, he's very helpful to people who are really struggling, you know, with Kundalini on the path. Um, and he, yeah, he's just like one of those really true teachers. Like he's like right there, like, you know, totally with God. <laughs> like I said, yeah. you can PK feel it. Craig Holiday is, is incredible. Very, very sweet, sweet man for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And he's very heart centered. It's wonderful. Um, so another, another path that, you know, I don't have a teacher on right now, but it just means a lot to me. And I explore it like through books and podcasts, um, is, uh, like the path of mystical Christianity, which, you know, you know, has, has kind of been like buried throughout like the centuries because like, unfortunately, Christianity has become so like dogmatic and toxic and stuff um on like a larger scale but um like most major spiritual traditions have a mystical aspect to them that's all about like a direct connection with god not about dogma or anything right. like that um and uh so um so you know when i was younger i hated christianity like truly hated it but but i but you know one day like a few years ago i asked myself like like what being do I connect with the most? Like, you know, out of like the ascended masters. And it was just like, Jesus. And I was like, oh, well, that's weird. Uh, I'll go with it. And uh, I realized I'd like really have like a deep affinity for like this like heart centered, like mysticism of like Christianity and mystical Islam as well, which is Sufism. But um, so, you know, I, I explore mystical christianity through there's this center called center for action and Contempl contemplation um 
And they have some great podcasts with uh, Richard Rohr, um, who wrote The Universal Christ, and also with Jim Finley. And um, my favorite one is called Turning to the Mystics with Jim Finley. So just if anyone's interested, it's really, really beautiful, very poetic, and just like puts you in a zone. And uh, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, so mystical Christianity and Sufism, which is like the mystical aspect of, of Islam and um, and which was brought over to the United States by Hazrat Inyat Khan in the early uh, 20th century. And um, so I, I actually do join some like Sufi groups sometimes and uh, it's really fun. It's like a very like Kirtan style and, and also they have this thing called dances of universal peace where you know we all kind of it's like this way of like connecting and praying through dance like in a group of people it's really wonderful is it, is it whirling uh, it's not well they do uh whirling um some people do whirling as well but no the dances of universal peace are more like uh different kinds of dances that are also kind of like prayers because you're the words you're singing are like a part of like a prayer of a certain tradition because Sufism embraces all traditions. And uh, you're, you're in a circle of people and you're kind of like um, singing these songs to each other and doing these different movements. And then you move on to the next person and then around. And so it's like this really beautiful way of connecting like with spirit and with people, the spirit in people. And yeah, it's really, really wonderful. Uh, thing too so um so those are i feel like you know those four are my main ones right now and uh but yeah like i said like i really embrace like all traditions and oh and i want to give a shout out to matt khan of course <laughs> he's like he's like wonder he's wonderful and uh he's someone i've uh you know i've met in person and um, he's really big, so he can't really be a one-on-one -on -one teacher for me, but um, I've gone to some of his talks and tons of his online talks, and I still do, and um, he, you know, he's like, he fulfills like the light worker part of me too, and like the ascension, you know, because I also believe we are going through like a lot of spiritual evolution on this, this earth right now, sure. um, and, so, and I feel like he's like this He's kind of like a big coach for all of us light workers mm -hmm. <laughs> at this time. So yeah. Great, great. Yeah, I, I really love Matt Khan as well. Definitely. <laughs> he's uh he's been a pillar for me on my path for sure. And and of of course he doesn't speak about it much, but he as well has gone through the Kundalini process too. Yes, that's true. Great. Okay. And now let's coming to the end of our talk here. So let's speak about Sorry. the service work that you're doing um, for, for, for people that are going through their, their journeys, whether it's spiritual, whether it's well-being, uh, mental health work. Uh, let us know what type of work you're offering. And finally, let us know where people can connect with you and find you. Yeah, for sure. So right now, like to the spiritual community, I'm offering coaching. Um, and so, yeah, I, my kind of work is, is a combination of some of the knowledge I've gained from, you know, being a counselor and studying uh, psychology 
And from my own explorations of spirituality, my own experiences with spiritual awakening and Kundalini. Um, and so basically, you know, I'm helping people kind of like, you know, heal some of the things that block their way to like their true self and, you know, exploring that and, and offering a safe space for exploring spiritual awakening and giving some guidance along that path as I've experienced some of the same things. Yeah. Great, great. So I will be sharing your links in the description of uh, the YouTube video of the, of the podcast description as well. So people can find you, can connect with you. I'm sure um, if they'd like to work with you, they'll, they'll be able to reach out to you by email and, and, and uh, really enjoy the things that you have to offer. Uh, this has only been a very brief conversation. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've got a plethora more of insight and wisdom and experience to draw from to support many people from from all walks of life, uh, whether they're in the midst of the most intense parts of the Kundalini awakening journey, whether they're seeking to maybe uh, deepen a meditation practice or work on maybe things like anxiety and that sort of thing. I'm I'm, I'm mm -hmm. sure that that uh, you have a lot a lot to offer. So. Perfect. We're going to just wrap up here. Uh, I think you mentioned earlier that uh, you had a poem that you'd like to share. Is that something you'd still like to share with us? Yes. Yeah. Okay, uh, and I so. apologize. It's not, kind of awkward right now because I had to plug in my phone and uh, I have to hold it in place now. Oh, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. So, um, but yeah, there's, um, there's a poem that I would love to share. It's called The Invocation to Kundalini. Um, and <laughs> it is by Dorothy Walters. Um, the book is called The Kundalini Poems. And she uh, is kind of like a Kundalini pioneer because it, she had a Kundalini awakening in the early 80s when there wasn't a lot of info about Kundalini out there. So she kind of went through it alone. Um, and she wrote all these incredible poems that um, she's a great poet poet and I love her work. So this one is called The Invocation to Kundalini. O mother of all mothers, goddess of all the gods, hold us tightly in your embrace. Let what it was unknown become known. What was hidden come into light. This together to be infused with your divine energies, to know that we are yours. Even now, as we move ahead into the vast unknown, drown us in the sea of love. And I have one more, if I could share just one more too. Absolutely. Okay, good. Um, this one like kind of offers hope for the world too. It's called The Happening. Frankly, I am getting a bit worried. Earthquakes to the west, blizzards attacking the east, chaos at the top, violence ripping the world apart everywhere. What have we done to create such circumstances? Are we now mere victims, arms bound to our chests and tongues gagged, waiting silently for what is next? Is there nothing we can do? Yet despite all, 
there is a secret. And it is telling us that more is involved than is described in the newspapers or talked about by the panels of experts. Something is afoot, something strange and wonderful and unseen and real. It is sending out a signal that many are receiving. It is calling out in an unnamed voice that great numbers are resonating with. Call it spirit, call it joy, call it whatever you like. It is here, it is happening. We are its progeny, its children of love. We are here to proclaim its presence, to allow its reality to happen in ourselves and our veins, to allow it to refashion us into the next incarnation of who we are. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing those with us. And thank you so much for really being so open with us today, sharing about your experience, sharing your insight, your wisdom. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. I appreciate you, Justina. I appreciate all of you for listening as well. Be sure to visit Justina online at justinathefreespirit.com. That's where you can find out more about her journey and about how you can connect with her. As well, you can visit brentspirit.com to find out more about connecting with me one-on-one for more free content. You can also write me with any questions about your spiritual journey, or you can leave a donation if you find this work meaningful. Until next time, peace.